Blink, blink, ding, bling. Ding, 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 Welcome, everyone, to another special, yes, you heard right, another special episode of Ho Yeah Podcast. Amy, hello, how are you? (laughs) Jackie, hello. We've tried this intro like 20 times, so. (laughs) Listeners, yes, okay. Okay. Great. Moving on. Moving on. (laughs) Uh, Yes, a very special episode. We had the pleasure of speaking with and interviewing Genevieve Kosky. And Genevieve wrote a great article, like a list article on the AV Club back in 2013. Uh, and she wrote, wait, and the title of it is 10 Episodes That Made King of the Hill One of the Most Human Cartoons Ever. And I stalked her down, I tracked her down on the internet. <laughs> sent a midnight email (laughs) asking if she would like to come on the show and talk about her list and we could go over it and discuss all these episodes. And she was down and we talked to her about a week or two ago and she was lovely, of course, and so insightful and really just was a wonderful person to speak with. Oh, it was such a pleasure. And uh, what is so intriguing about this article is it's not – a top 10 best episodes or it's not necessarily a ranking of best or worst it's 10 just 10 episodes that highlight what makes king of the hill so human one of the most as it's titled most human cartoons ever and i just love the concept for that and it was really interesting talking to her about how she came to do this list. Uh, I think mm-hmm. at the time she was watching a lot of King of the Hill for uh, a writing job and also um, at the same time simultaneously watching, what was it, Family Guy and The Simpsons? An American Dad, yeah. Oh, American Dad. So uh, so I think it just kind of put, helped put this idea in her head and I just love the idea and she, she um, highlights 10 episodes, but she picks episodes that focus on specific characters and mm-hmm. so i just i just love this i thought this was just such a wonderful article to read and i'm so glad we got to talk to her i mean she has a ton of other things that she's written for the av club um about such a wide range of shows from like the americans to sailor moon um so so yes. she she's done a lot but this is such a great list i'm so glad we got to talk to her oh, i know me too uh you know, we're obviously we're going to link the the list in the show notes and we'll have links to her her Twitter and also her own podcast which which is called The Next Picture Show. And The Next Picture Show is a bi-weekly roundtable examining how classic films inspire and inform modern movies. How about that? How about that? How about that? <laughs> we'll have a link to her podcast and in addition she sent us this lovely little write-up that we would love to uh, share with you that gives you a little bit more background on who she is and what she does. 
Genevieve Kosky was an editor and writer at the AV Club covering music, film, and especially TV from 2006 through 2013 when she left to help launch the short-lived but much-beloved film website, The Dissolve. Since The Dissolve shut down in 2015, she has continued working with her former colleagues on the weekly film podcast, The Next Picture Show, which just released its 250th episode. Oh my... Woo! And for the past two years has been a TV editor at Vulture.com. She also includes that she recapped seasons 11 and 12 of King of the Hill for the AV Club. Her favorite character is Lou Ann, and her best friend made her a Manger Babies puppet show stage for Christmas one year. What? Yes, and we have a picture of it. We have a picture of it. She sent it, and I will will send it to you. Yes. Wow, I didn't (laughs) know that. Very impressive. Yes, indeed. So with all of that said, we would love for you guys to get into the episode because it is, you know, it's it's a bit of a long one. I'm sure you've noticed. So it's a long gonna, It's, it's a, a long <laughs> so This will be for your commute to and from work, okay? Exactly. So please enjoy mm-hmm. and we'll catch you next week. Yep, we will catch you on the flip side of this week, which is next week. All you <laughs> cool people. So please enjoy this lovely episode. It's very lovely. It is. And get ready. Here we go. One, two, go. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know. Okay, everyone. We are now at the interview portion, and we are joined by Genevieve. Hello, Genevieve. Welcome. Hello. Hello. It's so good to be here. Uh, Could not be more pleased to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, you know, so you you wrote this article that we're going to be, you know, discussing and talking about, and it is called 10 Episodes That Made King of the Hill One of the Most Human Cartoons Ever. You wrote this in 2013, and Mm -hmm. which was shortly after it was canceled, right? Uh, Yeah, Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it was 2011 or 2012 that, that it went off the air. But yeah, yeah, it was shortly after. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, maybe 2011. Yeah. So, you know, it was shortly after it went off the air. And I really love this list because it's, you know, as you mentioned in it, it's not the best episodes of King of the Hill. It's the most representative episodes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's there's a couple of things from here. There's something that you wrote that I wanted, you know, I want to highlight because I just thought it was, it really nailed the show. Um, you said one of the most common observations slash criticisms leveled at the series is that it doesn't even need to be animated. Its characters are decidedly uncartoony, right down to their muted colors and lack of animated energy, though the show's animation would get increasingly dynamic as the years went on. And the situations they find themselves in are no different or more fantastical than would be found on any given live action family sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. I stand so, by it. Yeah. <laughs> you said <laughs> I defend you. It. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad you didn't just bring me on to like uh, be like these are not the best episodes. Explain yourself because (laughs) I'm glad you gave like the actual title of the article because I don't know how familiar you you are with like SEO search engine optimization, Mm -hmm. but like you know like articles get different titles for searches and like the search title for that is the ten best episodes of King of the Hill because that's what people search for you know but it's actually not what the article is (laughs) (laughs) but I you know I I I would like to know what 
So what inspired you to write that, like the article about from this angle, from it being the, you know, a human real life cartoon? I And before you answer, I will interrupt you just to say that I thought that <laughs> was so insightful because I mean, I've we've both watched King of the Hill for years and years and years. And it wasn't really until we talked to Wes Archer, who was um, an animator, like the like like director what, of animation director of animation and he was just talking about how they came up with the characters and how they made a point to make them realistic and they didn't want it to be super cartoony or over the top and it just really fits in so well with the humor of the show and um it was not something i had ever really thought about before but it made so much sense so seeing you highlight that i thought was just just so insightful so anyway interruption over please go ahead <laughs> no I, um, I thank you and I mean I think just sort of as a a viewer and a critic I'm almost always drawn to character first it's just like kind of my thing I, li- I, I like character before I like like theme or scenario or narrative even you know mm-hmm. um, but on a more sort of practical level I think probably where my head was at uh, when I uh, started this article and I and I should point out that TV Club 10 was like a like a type of article that we did at the AV Club up for different series so like the idea of like these are the 10 most representative shows like or the 10 most representative episodes like that was baked into what the column is but then from there it was you know sort of come up with a you know an organizing principle for this mm-hmm. um so I think what got me there is you know, you mentioned this came shortly after the the series ended. Um, during the last eh, couple seasons of of the show, I recapped it for the AV Club as part of the animation domination block, along mm. with The Simpsons, Family Guy, and American Dad. Right. Um, so, and it was like a, a one recap for all four shows. You know, and I would talk about all four shows in in one piece. Wow. Um, that was that was fun and something yeah. I would never do again um, <laughs> but but I think like week after week watching the show in the context of those other three very different series um, and writing about it in the context I think it just it really highlighted how this aspect of King of the Hill made it different from all those other shows that surrounded it and I would say obviously King of the Hill and American Dad are or not King of Hill, <laughs> uh, Family Guy and American Dad are from the same creator. So they have a lot of similarities, but, and even like Simpsons at that point, at this point it had, is like, it, you know, just a completely different entity. Um, so, and they're all at, you know, at that point, much more cartoony, you know, and I don't mm-hmm. say that as a, as an insult. Like I, I like all those shows to one degree or another, and I like cartoons very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in terms of distinguishing what makes King of the Hill different from all of these other animated brethren that just really stood out to me at that point. Yeah, I, I appreciate you um, mentioning American Dad, because while I, when I was reviewing your article and thinking about it and thinking about what you said, um, I was comparing it to American Dad because I watch America. I, I just love American Dad. I watch it it's, constantly. I, I, I do too. I have it's a couple so articles good. about it on on AV Club if you want to look it up. Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna check those out. They're Christmas episodes. American Dad Christmas episodes are like my favorite. They're so good. <laughs> I love American Dad, and so I was like thinking about the comparison between the two and like how wild, absolutely wild, American Dad can get. And like one of their running jokes is like. 
something insane will happen in one week. And then they'll be like, do you think things will be back to normal next week? And they're like, yeah, it will. <laughs> you know, because it's not an actual real life sitcom, they can do these crazy things and then everything can go right back to normal. Um, and whereas with King of the Hill, it is so like realistic that – if they tried to do like one of those crazy scenarios, everyone would just be kind of, I feel like it would just be like, what? That's, yeah, this is not right. <laughs> and I mean, they, they did occasionally, especially, especially in the later seasons, mm -hmm. like the, the scenarios definitely got in, a little more over the top, which is understandable. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think this, this list only goes through, I think season nine. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of to go back to what I was saying about, you know, character being what appeals to me first, Almost all of these episodes, I think, are ones that sort of take a character who, you know, you could look at as cartoony or they have, you know, these traits that are sort of over the top or weird or unlikable. Um, and then it that episode complicates them or, you know, gives you a different way to think about that character. Um, and yes. so that was kind of the idea behind making it like the most human cartoon, you know, right. like it's just the idea that these are people. You know, these fake right. characters are, are are people, you know, and we only see them for one half hour at a time. But, you know, certain episodes sort of give you insight to what they might be like all the other times, you know? Yeah. Right. And completely the fact that we expect it's common in cartoons to, you know, have something crazy happen. And then in a half hour, it's resolved and mm -hmm. everything just kind of resets and it's interesting that that's not necessarily the case here, but it's not the case in a lot of live action TV shows. Right. Like I, mm -hmm. my favorite example of that is in the Golden Girls, which I love. There's an mm -hmm. entire episode where, um, <laughs> and I forgot her freaking name last time, Amy, and I love this Rose damn show. Huh? Rose Blanche, yeah, Dorothy. Nylon. Rose Nylon. <laughs> Uh, there's an entire episode where she's addicted to opiates and she has to go to rehab. Oh, and at the end of the episode, she even says, like, this is something I'm going to struggle with for the rest of my life. And it's never mentioned again. Everything's back to normal. <laughs> well, that's like a very 80s sitcom move. Oh, yes. Too. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> Was it presented like a very special episode? That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That was their Christmas episode. Yeah. <laughs> he was as addicted to opiates. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So listen, I would love to get into the list. Okay. The the list. So what we're going to do, listeners, everyone who's listening to this, we're going to each read one of the recaps that Genevieve so eloquently wrote. And then we're going to discuss it a little bit. So, because I'm talking, I'm just going to go first. Oh, okay. I guess you just decide that. I support that. Yes. yes. Yeah. Thank you, Genevieve. <laughs> so the Maybe very because first there's one... a quote in this one and I don't want to have to attempt to do a voice. Ooh. Oh, no. Oh, you know what? <laughs> oh, you know what? Jackie's doing this one because she does a great, she does a great Luann. Oh, I, oh. all right. So here, here we go. go. You ready? <laughs> okay. First episode. Season one, episode 10, Keeping Up With Our Joneses. When Hank catches Bobby trying a cigarette, the old make him smoke an entire carton to teach him a lesson trick backfires wildly. 
Not only does Bobby get addicted, the episode causes reformed smokers, Hank and Peggy, to backslide, providing a nice glimpse at the early smoke-saturated years of their relationship in the process. A very horny time. Yes. Um, (laughs) Soon the nicotine-addled family members are at each other's throats as they try to kick the habit together. Their collective withdrawal and the petty sniping it induces provides a great spotlight for Luann who finds herself in the usual position of being the voice of reason as her adopted family threatens to tear itself apart. I am sick of dysfunctional families. I came from one and I'm not going to let it happen to you. Function. Function, damn you. Her (laughs) ultimate solution is straight out of the sitcom playbook, but it works beautifully, leading to a sweet, almost cinematic conclusion. Truly cinematic. Yes. Yes. Watching the cigarette blow away, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's so (laughs) fun. Yes. Well done reading that, Jackie. Um, <laughs> so I I love there's so we're up to season three episode. I don't even know anymore. So a couple of these we've already reviewed on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And this is one that, you know, I feel like it is a classic King of the Hill episode. And I love love that you mention the the early getting a glimpse into Peggy and mm-hmm. Hank's early relationship. I loved that. Love seeing them like, you know, at each other's throats, Luann, which I, Genevieve, you said Luann is your favorite character, right? Yeah, it goes back and forth between Luann and Bobby, but right I, I'm pretty sure it's Luann. <laughs> I, w- I want to get into that in a minute here. But, <laughs> but, you know, her being the one to like kind of help them and get them over it, even though they have been providing so much for her. It is a really great episode because, you know, Hank fixes everything, right? <laughs> so for him to be the one that's being fixed and taken care of is is I just love seeing that. Yeah. And I like seeing the um it's it's such a classic thing if you know we're trying to paint a picture of this family cuz it's still like, you know, it's season 1, it's still early. The mm-hmm. whole like oh, I caught you smoking, I'm going to give you this old school punishment of um you're going to smoke an entire carton. And to see that blow up wildly in their face really kind of (laughs) nutshells the episode where it's like, this is what I understand to be like how things work and have that like constantly be challenged, Hank's view of how things should be. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really just sort of interesting as a like an early model King of the Hill, you know, like all the pieces are there. The relationships are more or less how you know they're they're going to remain but like hank is a little different here you know in the like the flashbacks certainly underline like like we would get more and more flashbacks obviously as the series progressed and you know hank like flashback hank kind of became his own character Mm -hmm. and this is like a version of young hank that we don't really get to see again and peggy for that for that matter Mm -hmm. so um but I, I do like it for like its suggestion that like the thing that defines Hank is he's uptight, right? But he, he's not that uptight here. He's just very conventional, I guess, mm-hmm. is is um, maybe the word. Yeah. Um, you know, like later seasons, Hank, I can't imagine would ever make Bobby smoke a cigarette. That's, you know, that's something that's definitely like out of the sitcom playbook, like I said. But it's uh, not necessarily out of the King of the Hill playbook. So I feel like this is 
kind of an example of the show still getting its feet under it a little bit. But the relationships between all those characters, like the individual characters might change a little bit, but the relationships between them are, I feel like, really just sort of coming into their own, coming into fruition at this point. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well said. (laughs) I think I like kind of, I was trying to remember how I organized this list and I think I, well, I know I wanted to do it like basically one episode a spotlight episode per character and then i think this was kind of like spotlight on the hill family as a as a single entity definitely um, right yeah. i do see i do see that now with your list like i'm thinking about the the episodes that you chose and i do see where mm-hmm. you're like trying to spotlight each character so mm-hmm. that's cool mm-hmm. um yeah i like i you know i like that you also mentioned you know it's not typical of Hank in the in future episodes, he wouldn't. He would think making Bobby smoke a whole carton of cigarettes is not the way to do it. But this is like the early Hank, who's like more like uh, conservative and very narrow. Narrow minded. I guess I'm, I can't really think of the word I'm looking no, for. He he's on. He's kind of just like I don't want to say toxic masculinity uh, personifying because it's but but it, it does in in the next episode we're going to talk about that I think especially he has this sort of like masculine swagger uh, mm-hmm. type of of thing that never really went away but became a lot more subtle you know yeah. so I think it's uh, the show is maybe leaning a lot more into the sort of like Texan man uh, yeah. archetype here yeah I Absolutely. would agree with that Genevieve you want to do the next one sure yay. Uh, Next up is Halloween, Season 2, Episode 4. The Hills are a church-going, God-fearing family, and while King of the Hill occasionally played this for laughs, it tended to be better when pitting Hank's no-nonsense belief structure against religious hypocrisy and zealotry. See the great Season 8 episode, Reborn to be Wild, for another classic example of this. Halloween puts Hank in the unusual position of being anti-religion the hysterical evangelical version of it anyway, when it threatens his beloved Halloween in the form of Bible-thumping Junie Harper, played by Sally Field, who who accuses Hank of being a Satanist for supporting the devil's holiday. This is a prototypical Hank versus the idiots plotline, but it gets extra mileage out of the template by putting the impressionable Bobby and Luann on the side of Junie Harper. Hank's eventual reconciliation with his son is much more satisfying than his saving Halloween. And the fact that he does both while wearing a child-sized devil costume makes it even better. <laughs> so good when he dons that outfit. Yeah. You, it's delicious. I, as, as I was reviewing these, I was kind of suspecting my past self of just like really latching on to specific images or even line readings as being like justification for why this episode needed to be included. <laughs> and I, I, I do think that Hank in the devil costume may have uh, pushed this one over the edge. Yeah. <laughs> I do love it though, because for someone who's so conventional and, and I mean, especially in the first two seasons we would even talk about like, I don't know if he's capable of like sarcasm or having a sense of humor mm-hmm. And to like for him to love Halloween as much as he does, that he's willing to put that over possible religious beliefs is, uh, it, I think it really challenges your maybe your expectations of Hank. I mean, there are so many conversations you come across online, especially like now during the election, where it's just like, what would Hank do in this situation? How, who would he vote for? Mm-hmm. Or like, what like how would he handle this situation? And everyone thinks they know. 
And I feel like if you put this out there, people would be like, oh, Hank Hill would hate Halloween. He would think it's asinine. But it's nice to see that kind of like being challenged a little bit. Yeah. And I also, I think something that's going to come out in this discussion is I just, I really uh, admire and respect voice acting. um, And I I thought you were going to sing Satan. (laughs) <laughs> well, I thought that was a given, but no, if, <laughs> um, no but uh, Sally Field as, as Junie Harper here, I think it's just, I mean, there, there's a lot of really good guest appearances on, on this list, but you know, it's, it's Sally Field and it's a, uh, you know, it's a, I think a one-off character. I don't know. Maybe Junie Harper came back uh, in, in later episodes, but nothing's, nothing's coming to mind, but it's just like a really efficient uh you know, character, like, um, in terms of just like setting up conflict, not just with Hank, but with Luann and Bobby. And has she has some really funny lines. And yeah, I just it's true. And there are so many guest stars. I think it even came up when we were talking to Ashley Gardner recently, she does Mm -hmm. the voice of um, Nancy Gribble. And she was Mm -hmm. just like, God, there were so many like, it felt sometimes like that they were just trying to get people on. It didn't matter Mm -hmm. what character they did and it's true some some of them are just like judge number three you know at a (laughs) but like this is definitely one that stands out like even uh a year after we talked about it i think we had some kind of harry potter crossover episode and i was just (laughs) she came to mind right away when we were talking about um uh umbridge professor Um, oh totally and i was just like ah sally field like she just stands (laughs) out she really she really nailed that part and it's it's a you know i i love seeing like hank be kind of like I want to say naughty, but like yeah. he, you know, he he to- he's he like her house. Yeah, he TPs her house. He you know brings Bobby along to like egg it and TP it, and like it's it's something that you don't again you wouldn't expect from Hank, and also wouldn't expect him to love Halloween so much, and also to be like, you know, what what do you what are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with Halloween. It's not satanic. Like, come on, get over it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to being, you know, a little bit more on the religious side of it. Like, oh yeah, I guess it is kind of evil, right? You know? Um, <laughs> so I, I, you know, it's great, great seeing Hank a little bit different. Uh, and just one other like small thing about this episode that uh, I, cause I've been like kind of putting them on in the background this week, just to sort of refresh my memory. Mm-hmm. And one of the, uh, just little like grace notes of this episode um that I thought was worth mentioning is when they, they do a couple of flashbacks to Hank and the boys as kids trick or treating. Mm -hmm. And the first one is like a pretty quick and subtle nod to uh, the peanuts. There's like a peanuts type score, you know, and uh, a ghost costume. That's a little, you know, reminiscent of of the great pumpkin, but like, that's all it doesn't like, it's not on the nose. It doesn't extend it any further. And I feel like that's just like really representative of how King of the Hill would engage with pop with other pop culture and again that's sort of informed by watching it next to family guy or or american dad or even simpsons you know later on that well simpsons always really um that just you know are they hit those reference those referential beats really hard and here it's just like you know it's just like it's it's a nod It, it, it that's all it is it's like and I, I just I like that. I appreciate that. So true. There's nothing heavy handed about it. And it kind of fits with the satirical nature with the dry humor where mm-hmm. like 
those types of things make you feel like not everyone's in on the joke, but I'm in on the joke, you know, and to have Mm -hmm. like those like little subtle references too are kind of exciting when they're not so heavy and you're just like, ah, I caught that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm going to read the next one. I didn't realize I was going to read this one, but I'm excited because it's one of my faves. It's one of my favorite episodes. All right. The next one is, and they call it Bobby Love, season three, episode two. Bobby has a solid claim on the title of King of the Hill's flat out funniest character, much of which can be attributed to Pamela Adlon's Emmy winning performance, a highlight in a series full of top shelf voice acting. Mm -hmm. Very true. But he may never be funnier than when he's heartbroken. Bobby's fanciful, sensitive nature makes his first foray into puppy love endearingly awkward. And when he woos his lady love by intimidating a crotchety Jewish man, it makes his heartbreak, well, heartbreaking. But his eventual triumph over that sorrow is where Bobby really shines, consuming a 72-ounce steak in front of the vegetarian older girl who dumped him. It's a perfectly King of the Hill-style victory and remains one of the best scenes in the show's history. Rightly so, and they call it Bobby Love, netted King of the Hill its sole Emmy for Outstanding Animated Program. Should have been so many more, but (laughs) it really should have. It really should have. But, but this episode, so as I said, it's one of my favorites because I also love voice acting. I'm always so blown away by people who are good at it. And Pamela Adlon is top shelf and her voice acting in this episode, particularly when Bobby is sobbing and doing the, you know, what are you, what are you, you know, and sobbing and just so sad it is heartbreaking it really truly is and i'm just like that poor baby he has no clue well, first of all it's gonna be way worse when you get older honey but, but he's, just, he's just so heartbroken and sad he's laying down topless on the on the floor with his face in the carpet listening to bad music i mean it is it's one of my favorite episodes because you know, he it's really just a, a great Bobby episode, excellent voice acting, and it's funny and try it's sad and triumphant at the same time. I don't know how she does it. Her like, I, I I no idea. I know. Yeah, I there's like precious little video of Pamela Adlon doing Bobby Hill out out there, but there is some mm-hmm. and it always just makes me so happy just watching yeah. Bobby's oh. voice come out of her because it's like like it's a full character, you know? It, um, well, they all, uh, honestly, I think Kathy and Jimmy is probably the only one who's not doing like a, you know, capital V voice, even though Peggy mm-hmm. Hill, you know, is definitely a specific voice. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, just like compared to Adlon's speaking voice, like what she does with Bobby and how consistently and um, dynamically she does it is just Truly. really, really good. Um, and I'm speaking of voice acting, I'm like editing my past self. I'm more of an editor than a writer these days. So of course, yeah. I'm just like seeing all these mistakes in this article oh, I wrote nice. seven years ago. But I I didn't mention who plays the older girl, which is Sarah Michelle Gellar. And like, uh, speaking of, you know, guess good guest casting, mm-hmm. you know, that's, uh, that's really uh, just another 
very good choice for that uh, that character. And I didn't mention the B plot of the alley couch, which is like <laughs> one of the more sort of whimsical, I think, uh, Hank and the guys storylines that mm-hmm. I, I have a you lot know, of You know, I noticed for. that, but I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> No, I'm you know, just I was kidding. trying to keep it concise, but you know, no, not at all. I, 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 just, all. I knew I would come on a long form podcast years later and be able to explain <laughs> this. So I figured we it have wasn't so many beefs with you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I, I, I love this episode too because I, um, I remember talking. I love talking about it with you, Amy, because there were just so many quotes that I loved, but our reactions to it were so wildly different. Because for the first half, I hated Bobby. And you were just so empathetic towards what he was going through. And I was just like, what an asshole. <laughs> and he, is, he is, especially like during the dancing part. Yeah. You, you know, but there's uh, why nothing are you dancing with those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Your damn business. Oh, I don't have to kiss you on this couch. But I mean, that scene at the end when he eats that steak and everyone cheers for him and it's in front of it's in front of his, you know, ex girlfriend quote unquote (laughs) i mean that is like something that we've all played out in our minds when we were going through like a middle school or a high school or even an early 20s or a late 20s breakup or an early 30s breakup (laughs) or all of them (laughs) all of them where you're just in a situation where they happen to be there and they get to see how amazing you are Mm -hmm. and it was just so satisfying so yes and I and I love the button of them coming home and Connie just being really Im- like impressed or or you know she she's getting over her own jealousy and is kind of mm-hmm. I guess seeing Bobby in a new light and uh and then he he pukes on her or, or pukes <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. in front of her so uh, it's, just, oh. it's a nice bow it is it is. Yeah, uh, Connie, so sweet. She's such a sweetie. I know. One, one of the characters I unfortunately wasn't really able to do a spotlight episode on, um, but if, if if I did, it would have been where she gets her first period. Good oh, episode. Yes, <laughs> such a classic. That's yeah. one of the be- I think one of the best ones. Like not even yeah. just. I think human. it might be in the like ten more at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. so relatable. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess it's my turn. It is. And the next one, let me make sure I know where I am. This is the next page. All right. Don't embarrass myself again. Okay. So the next one is season four, episode one, Peggy Hill, The Decline and Fall. Peggy is one of King of the Hill's hardest characters to love. Her ignorance of her own inadequacies, such as her ability to habla espanol, espanol, I can't even do it like her. Is a recurring Espinol is a recurring joke, but it can make her seem grating when it's not accompanied by a healthy serving of humble pie. The season four premiere, which picks up from a cliffhanger where Peggy falls to earth from a plane where her skydiving parachute fails to open, forces Peggy to confront her limitations in very in a very literal fashion. She insists that being in a full body cast won't affect her ability to run a household, but quickly realizes she's as helpless as Hank's new baby brother, G.H., short for Good Hank. Cotton's newborn son, who's staying with the Hills while his postpartum mother and disinterested father get their act together. It's a chaotic episode that gets as close to wacky as King of the Hill comes, mostly due to the presence of the ever-obnoxious Cotton. But in the... But it... Ends on a quiet, 
It ends on a quiet note of triumph that strengthens everything that comes before it. So true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, with this one, you know, you say like this is as wacky. It's kind of chaotic. And it is. There's so much that happens. First, we have to find out, did Peggy die? You know, like, <laughs> did she actually die? So, okay. So now we know that Peggy is alive, but she's in a full body cast. And, you know, so there's that whole part. There's um, this incredibly... Honestly, I, I I can't wait to talk about this episode on the you know full length because the postpartum depression mm-hmm. piece of it is so interesting that they added that in there and I think really smart and I admire that because it's an important topic. Um, but that's in there. There's Cotton freaking out about having he, he doesn't want anything to do with the kid. Um, he freaks out that he even has it. Hank is trying to take care of Peggy. Peggy's trying to you know trying to be her usual like superhero self that she thinks she is and she can't literally cannot do anything she's being fed by a bottle (laughs) that's that bottle feeding scene oh poor peggy poor thing (laughs) but you're right you know so we call ourselves a pro peggy podcast because you know we know that she's one of the hardest characters to love but she's also incredible she's a menace Mm -hmm. but she's great yeah no (laughs) so you're right like you know she does think that she her her she's overly confident but she almost always gets some humble pie yeah yeah it's really challenged a lot and oh my god it's i i used to not like peggy she used to and dale too and now they're maybe my two favorite characters and she used to bug the shit out of me (laughs) but even when i couldn't stand her seeing those moments it's just it's like a a lesson in empathy you know Mm mm-hmm like Absolutely. watching Bambi's mother die. <laughs> Just like trauma? That. A lesson in yeah. trauma? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of tra- like different flavors of trauma <laughs> in this episode, you know, and it doesn't you know, try to hammer too hard on any of them. It just sort of like presents it up like, look at all the different ways this family is suffering, but in a mm-hmm. funny way, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my God. They, like, they blew up in a megalomart. <laughs> like, and then and, I, oh, go ahead. I forget. Was it was it this episode or the pre? I think I think it was the last one we discussed where Luann still like had uh, no hair from the Megalomart yeah. ex- explosion. Like you know, talk, talking about how characters sort of like actually change and grow over mm-hmm. the course of of this. Um, yeah, over the series. Yeah, we had like a Luann hair watch while we were doing this. Yeah. Like, yeah. we we'd be like, her hair is still short. They they didn't just have it grow back all of a sudden. It even mm-hmm. has like a growing out phase, you know, where it's like kind of short but not too short, and then finally it's back to normal. But yeah, we yeah. that's an example of how they like keep things consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I guess well, I'm sure we'll talk about Cotton a little more later. But this oh, is right. just like Cotton at his most difficult yes. I, you know like i i don't know uh how recently you you've rewatched the episode but like the reason that he is rejecting uh his son uh good hank is because the the child's lactating which is i, I guess a very normal thing mm-hmm. um for, for for newborns but you know cotton sees it as uh you know the sign that he's possessed or a demon child and it's just like it's right. so over the top again kind of going back to you know it being a chaotic episode like you know but the fact that there's so much going on, it's so such heightened emotional stakes across the board, but then it ends on this absolutely beautiful, quiet moment of Peggy rocking Good Hank's, uh, 
you know, bassinet with her toe. And like, it's, she, she gets to be the mother, you know, cause the whole episode is sort of about her, her perception of herself as a, as a excellent mother. She even has a, a line to the effect of like, I'm, I'm known for being a, a great mother, you know, yeah. um, this being Peggy probably to no one but herself. But, <laughs> yeah. um, Everyone talks about it. <laughs> yeah. But, but so having, you know, uh, I'm blanking on her name. Is it Debbie Cotton's wife? Dee Dee. Dee Dee. Thank you. You know, and having Dee Dee sort of on the going through this own sort of motherhood experience, it's just a where neither of them can really function as mothers, but for entirely different reasons. Oh my I think God. it's just a very sort of smart parallelism there. You yeah. just blew my mind. Yeah, you did. <laughs> oh my God. Of you course. know, I do this for a living. <laughs> well, well, I might as well. You know, I actually got goosebumps when you were talking about that quiet moment that it ends on. Like, <laughs> it is, it's so, it is beautiful. Like, Hank's in the yard screaming at Cotton, um, and Cotton's yelling back. The baby GH, which also another like unbearable moment from Cotton, just a straight fuck you to Hank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God, and but then you know, and the baby's crying, and then all of a sudden it goes quiet, and they're kind of like, oh shit, what happened? But you come in and you see Peggy. She's crying. She's so happy and pleased because she got the baby. She's just with her one little toe. That's that's not yeah. in a body cast. Rocking. GH back and forth to sleep. And also I do love that Bobby had to be the caretaker of GH and he's just like being run ragged by it. Yeah. And, and when like he has he's had enough of it, he's like, mm-hmm. I am a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> he's like, don't bother me again unless it's for dinner. Yeah. Like, I'll eat and that's all I'll do. <laughs> All right, next up is season four, episode 16, titled Moving On Up. The relationship between Hank and Luann is one of King of the Hill's most reliably affecting, with Hank's reluctance to be the father figure Luann so desperately needs, forcing them both to grow as... forcing them both to grow a little as they struggle to understand each other. In this episode, Luann chafes against Hank's overbearing house rules, moving out of his den into her own place across the street, where her insufferable roommates soon force her into the role of reluctant house dictator. Luann is probably the character who changed the most over King of the Hill's long run, and this is a watershed moment in both her personal growth and in her relationship with Hank. It's also a great showcase for Brittany Murphy, who was nominated for Annie for her voice work in this episode. Uh, Again, I just really like voice work. I can't help it. I mean, (laughs) Brittany Murphy, though. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Incredible, really. Incredible. And this is the episode where at the end she and Hank like have a beer together, Mm -hmm. right? Yep, yeah, yeah. She pulls the beer out of the out of the pool because that's where she's so hiding smart. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she's she's found her lawn. Like Hank, yes. Hank advises her to find her lawn to sort of like you know her place of zen. And for her, it's mm-hmm. it's the pool, yeah. cleaning the pool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really do love the relationship between Hank and Luann and how it grows and changes. And you're. I agree so much that Luann is definitely the one who changes the most throughout the series. Um, she grows into like, a, like into a woman, you know, she's, mm-hmm. she's a teenager and she's very ignorant and she's naive, even though she's had like a traumatic childhood. Yeah. But as she grows, she really becomes her own, but without ever really losing that childlike right. nature. <laughs> um, but for her and Hank, you know, against each other, 
in, in whatever way, they always end up coming back together and like having a level of respect for each other. Mm-hmm. And I love to see that. Yeah, I, I haven't fully appreciated their relationship until I started rewatching it for this podcast. But they, I think we made the point in uh, an earlier episode, maybe the first one where Buckley dumps her. But yeah. and they were kind of forced to bond, but they have kind of had similar childhoods in that there was a lot of chaos and maybe they weren't nurtured enough. Mm-hmm. And they are totally different people, but are able to connect in all these different complex ways. And I have really come to appreciate Luann's character and she really she really does grow so much. It's crazy. And of course yeah. Brittany Murphy is yeah um yeah and again sort of just the the narrative or the the parallelism of this episode of sort of you know turning Luann into Hank like you know almost literally putting her in in his shoes but you know by giving mm-hmm. her these terrible roommates you know and the so the, the scene where she realizes I've become you <laughs> and, and Hank of course doesn't process that how, how she meant it because he never processes what she says how she like that's sort of their you know their inherent tension is they just like mm-hmm. can't communicate effectively you know um but at the same time it's a it's a study in empathy you know mm-hmm. you know um and it, in this case it's mostly coming from Luann toward Hank but in doing that as as I said, sort of it pushes Luann to, you know, she she levels up as a person, <laughs> you, yeah, you know, um, but in her own way. It's it's not Hank doing it for her. You know, it's her right. kind of coming to the realization for herself, the growth she needs to, to take. Yeah. Um, also, this has a, a really good stinger quote that they, you know, at the end of the credits, they'll sometimes do a quote from from the episode. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't mention it in, in the blur, but the the Hank and the boys, they uh, they want a clubhouse. Like that's what they wanted. The house that move that Luann moves into. Uh, so they end up making turning Hank's den into the clubhouse, and they're playing truth or dare. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Dale Dale goes truth or dare and Bill immediately goes dare and then just like split second like not even a pause Hank just goes ugh and leaves the room and, <laughs> and it's the sort of thing that like I, you know me describing it if you haven't heard it I understand that it's not funny but it's just a really good example of how like well paced the, 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 the dialogue is sometimes on this show so that's a good one i love that they're playing truth or dare that's so (laughs) classic of especially those three of course they would play truth or dare like might as well just make it spin the bottle too yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) oh so good and yeah i you know just one last comment on that you know you i i like that you mentioned you know luann does come to her own conclusion but and like she it kind of becomes Hank, but she learns her own way of dealing with things that, and that Hank doesn't fix it for her, mm-hmm. you know? So She's I empowered. Love, she is empowered. And she was, she, she, even Hank was like at the very end, he's like, you know, if you need some light to study, cause the lights go out, right. You know, like she doesn't, she paid her bills, but the roommates didn't pay theirs. So she's like, no, I'm not worried about it. I paid mine. So, mm-hmm. I don't need because he says, oh, if you need to come over and study or use our light, that's cool. And she's like, no, I don't need it. I've got my own. I've got my own system. So she like figures it out for herself. So smart. 
So yeah. smart. All right. <laughs> My turn. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> this one is, I don't want to wait for our lives to be over. I don't want to wait. Okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> and it's season five, episode three. As the show went on, King of the Hill gave spotlight episodes to Bobby's two closest friends, Joseph Gribble, Joseph Gribble, the half American Indian offspring of Dale's wife and her masseuse, whom Dale assumes is his biological son, and Connie Sufanusimphone, the overachieving Laotian girl next door who was Bobby's girlfriend for a time. But this episode centers on them as a trio as they lurch uncomfortably toward together into teenagerdom. Sparked by Joseph returning from summer camp six inches taller and with a new manly voice, Bobby finds himself suddenly feeling immature and out of touch with his best friend. The two of them emerge in some teen soap no, the two of them engage in some teen soap dramatics involving Connie, who's in the throes of puberty herself, culminating in a would-be grand gesture that brings them back together. It's one of the best examples of King of the Hill finding uniquely funny, character-driven moments within universal, commonplace situations. The gang. So, the gang. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, this is when Joseph is all pubed out and we, <laughs> yeah. we get the brand new voice, the yeah. whole new voice actor coming in Brecken um, Meyer. Yeah, Meyer. I always want to call him Brockton Broden <laughs> <laughs> why not <laughs> um, but you know so so something that I thought about with this episode uh, and that it has happened in other King of the Hill episodes there's so many like parts to it that happen so many things that happen it starts with Bobby he goes to Arizona yeah, you know, he, he I, I love that. I love that yeah. prelude. <laughs> yeah, he travels there. He's feeling he's feeling, you know, independent and mature. And then he comes back and he's slammed back down to earth by how how much Joseph has grown. Um, then so you have all of that. So Bobby feeling inadequate. Then there's the party. There's the whole drama with Connie and Joseph kissing and then Joseph trying to kiss Connie's mom, <laughs> trying to kiss men, and then they crash Dale's van there is so much that happens <laughs> and don't forget one of my all-time favorite b plots which again i didn't mention in this just, i'm <laughs> kicking my past self but uh hank building the coffins for him yes! and Peggy in the garage <laughs> oh i love i love their relationship in this moment yeah and they're just yes. sipping champagne or <laughs> like in their cup eating pizza in their coffins like a yeah. dream really goals i guess yeah. hashtag goals yeah <laughs> relationship goals i mean yeah. yes and uh i love the 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 way that they do this drama it's not overdone it's not like unrealistic that bobby would feel you know uh jealous and immature and you know jealous of joseph and then connie kisses joseph which you know that happens you know yeah. especially during that time and um i like the the realism of it all honestly even stealing the van and crashing it because they don't know what the fuck they're doing like that. i might get as far as a quarter a tank of gas will take me <laughs> yeah I, know, I love that he's like so like and connie comes where are you going take me with you yeah. oh my god <laughs> just really even that dramatic it feels so real i mean i remember when i stole my parents car and i didn't know that you had to put it in park before you could take the keys out so the one where you had to like push it 
like yeah i tried to push it up the fucking drive a giant beamer trying to push that up <laughs> the driveway with my friend it didn't work finally it took a you know it's just taking a car not knowing what to do with it crashing it thank god mm-hmm. i didn't crash it but you know them doing that is I just think it's so it's so realistic to me. Yeah, um, and at, at the same time, I mean, you know, we we already talked about the title, which is a obvious reference to Dawson's Creek, which mm-hmm. is you know would have definitely been on the air at this time. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think just like. The you know you talk about Joseph you know like acting so manly in the van you know like like it, it definitely feels like they're you know they're they're projecting their or they're living out their ideas of what teenagers should be and should do you know and, and at the very end there's the sort of you know grace note of uh, must have been teenagers you know mm-hmm. um, and but yeah it's sort of like engaging with. I guess the like the tropes of teen drama, you, you know the the love triangle and mm-hmm. the the girl next door and all that, you know, um, does it well. Yeah, I was very unsympathetic to Bobby in um, uh, what was it? And they call it Bobby Love. I, I was very unsympathetic. I was like, he made up this entire relationship. Like he, has no, <laughs> I don't feel sorry for him one second. But this is one where it's like seeing your best friend and like your you know girlfriend it's just i my heart broke for him in this episode truly but it also mm-hmm. reminds me of one of the um fan theories that we talked about where a, there's one like very dumb dumb it's dumb <laughs> a dumb fan theory <laughs> where uh they are proposing that they're positing that uh Bobby is actually dead by this point and <laughs> everyone else is going through puberty, but he never does. Mm. That's that's true. Uh, um, <laughs> it's nice I, of you to say that. True. Yes. <laughs> that is interesting. That is a thing that that happens. Bobby Bobby never does grow up. Another, really, Joseph is the only one who mm-hmm. you know uh, at least changes in appearance. You know, as previously mentioned, Connie has her period. It's referred to in this episode, and. Uh, alongside just an absolutely devastating line that Connie says to Bobby of you wouldn't understand you're not there yet um just like like just so diminishing and he's already been brought so low by Joseph's you know emergence Mm -hmm. uh and you know he's he's older than Joseph, you know, and, and he's been through this experience in Arizona where he, you know, he kind of gets a faux bar mitzvah type experience. He gets his pen and pencil set, um, <laughs> you know, so, so he's riding this high of like, I'm a man now. And then he gets home and everything he's presented with just, you know, takes that away from him. I know. Um, Oh. Yeah. Even it's at the restaurant, they're like, "Bobby, order from the kids menu yeah. while you still yeah. can." As he like they, they, he just comes crashing back down to earth immediately. And then, like, you know, the one thing he has over Joseph is that he's a ladies' man. Like, he has mm-hmm. a girlfriend, and he knows how to kiss, and he knows how to like woo women. But even that goes ba- terribly wrong. It backfires on him because you know. He tries to show Joseph how to like kiss a girl with Connie and she's just like what the hell are you doing and that starts the whole you know love triangle triangle where 
uh, Connie ends up kissing Joseph. And so it's just a- another thing that just completely backfires on him. And the one thing that he thought that he had is now gone. Yeah. All right. I'm up. Yep. Uh, Hank and the Great Glass Elevator. Season 5, Episode 11. King of the Hill had a lot of fun torturing Bill Dotrieve, the brilliant Stephen Root, oh my god, over the years, but Hank and the Great Glass Elevator might be the steepest of his many falls from grace. First, it pairs him romantically with one of King of the Hill's greatest stunt casting guest stars, former Texas Governor Ann Richards, playing herself. Then it brings his verbally abusive ex-wife Lenore, Ellen Barkin, woof woof, to throw (laughs) his happy relationship into a tailspin. This is a great example of Bill being his own worst enemy. Oh, he's stuck in a cycle of drama, truly. But it also provides a glimpse at the root. Stephen Root, sorry, I'm going to stop. I didn't even realize what I did there, but I did it there. (laughs) Uh, At the root of his issues by finally revealing the much-discussed but to this point never seen Lenore. The Peggy Bobby subplot where they indulge in some charcoal adultery while staunch propane advocate Hank is out of town is a fun example of King of the Hill in a sillier mode, and it's a nice counterpoint to the emotional awkwardness of Bill's romantic mess. What? Just Bill. So much baggage. (laughs) God, Bill. Classic episode with Bill just self-sabotaging, of course, you know, just... And you're right. The steepest fall from grace because... Ann Richards, a governor, <laughs> was willing to sleep with Bill. I mean, come on, man. He's trapped in a cycle of depression and chaos, and that's his norm. He can't allow himself to have happiness because that's outside of what he understands. It's so sad. Yeah, like Bill is also one of the very hard to love characters, but at the same time, like he's so pathetic that you can't really hate him, <laughs> you know. Right, and um, what I liked about this episode, because there are, there are several episodes that sort of like dig into what makes Bill tick so erratically, um, <laughs> but you know, <clears throat> like getting into Lenore is. Like there's an earlier episode where he the one where he like dress like he puts yes. on a dress and he just like has pretty, a total breakdown. Yes, that one. Um and I feel like you need this episode to sort of like retroactively explain his behavior in in that episode and honestly his behavior all all over the series. Mm-hmm. You need to see Lenore. Um and I, I mean Ellen Barkin. Yeah. Obviously, she's amazing, but also like compared to like Junie Harper, you know, that's another just sort of like one character or one episode character um, that is sort of like set up just to create conflict. Like Lenore is so much more just evil. Like she's terrible, yes. you know, like, so um, manipulative. <laughs> yeah, there's if I have a complaint about this episode, it's that it just goes a little too hard on how bad Lenore is. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I could have used just like a little, a little beat to humanize her uh, mm-hmm. in in relationship to Bill, or like to kind of give her side of of it. You know, but she's just like a terrible person, and yeah. you know that's that's fine. There are terrible people in in, in the world, mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, yeah, she's really she's really terrible. <laughs> oh, she really is. She's really bad. She's she's so manipulative, and he. But you know, he's 
you mentioned like you can't really hate Bill. Bill hates himself enough for yeah. everyone else. We don't 100%. need to hate him. He is pathetic. We do rag on him pretty. pretty I know, hard. and I, yeah, I, on the podcast. I reflect on that too, where I'm just like, Bill is unbearable in this episode. But that's what that's what depression, like severe depression and anxiety, yeah. is. It makes it makes the person difficult to be around because that's it. I mean, like it's not. It's part of it. Um, yeah, so yeah. I always. After the fact, I'm always just like, oh, I should have acknowledged that that's like part of the cycle that he's caught in. I do feel bad, <laughs> but he can be difficult. I mean, to be around. Yeah, you you don't. I don't think this app this episode is like asking you to like Bill. You know, it, mm-hmm. like like I like I said at the top, it's just sort of like complicating his character in an interesting way, and it's giving you this other level of understanding of Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to suddenly like love everything he does or even like everything he does but you understand a little more why he does it yeah i think that's uh that's useful for the rest of us in real life when we have those relationships where it's like i can be empathetic to i can be understanding of like why you are the way you are but i it it's i can also not like it yeah (laughs) i want to know i want to know where he like where what switched between his Louisiana wealthy <laughs> upbringing to right. like football star to like where he what he became? I think it's supposed to be Lenore. I think Just Lenore, Lenore is but what like he really had a. It sounds him. like he had a a horrible father too, right? Yes, but I think that Lenore is what really was. She was supposed to be like the last straw, like the last thing that broke him. You know, once she was gone, he was never the never the same. Like he was predisposed to be this way, and then she was like the trigger. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Bill, I think so. Speaking of awful fathers, (laughs) (laughs) oh, my favorite. Can do a segue too. (laughs) Yeah, but first, but first, I do want to also mention that I do love. The Peggy Bobby subplot where oh, they are course. they're like in a like a deserted <laughs> parking lot, like with a like a, the charcoal, the the charcoal grill, just like, oh my god, this is so good. Washing their yeah. clothes. Yeah. Yeah. He has a nose like a bloodhound. <laughs> <laughs> I know, so good. All right. Now I guess I'll talk about cat and <laughs> although great episode okay we are this one is uh returning japanese part two season six episode 22 cotton a world war ii veteran who lost his shins in japan is an obnoxious petty man who spews spite in every direction but especially toward his son thus it can be a little difficult to enjoy or connect to stories involving him and hank who inexplicably craves his father's approval The second part of the two-part season six finale doesn't quite make Cotton likable, but it does humanize him a bit, a trend that would continue through his death in the penultimate season. The revelation that Cotton fathered Hank's older half-brother with a Japanese war nurse is a characteristically outlandish development for the character, but it's more interesting for the effect his new son's rejection has on Cotton, as well as Hank. Hank's characteristically reserved attempts to bond with his similarly uptight half-brother are charming, and Cotton's theatrics for once feel believable, if not quite justified. Plus, there's a lot of the hills go to Japan goofiness, including Bobby's cute flirtation with a girl over a Dance Dance Revolution-style game. I love that the hills go to Japan. It makes me think of the Brady Bunch going to Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
yeah, unexpected choice for a King of the Hill destination episode, but you know they 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 earn it with, with the setup and yeah. Uh, yeah, like in hindsight, I I don't know why I only did part two. Like I feel like I could have been maybe I was just like too uh, concerned with like the rules of, <laughs> of, of, of the of the column. But like I feel like like having watched it in isolation, this is really like a two part episode to get mm-hmm. the you know because the the episode opens with the revelation of. Hank's brother mm-hmm. and you know everything that comes before there's a lot more sort of the hills go to Japan fun before in, in the first part um, mm-hmm. but then you also get a lot more of like Hank cotton conflict in the in the first part um, than, than you do in the second which is much more focused on Hank and his brother which is another re- relationship I love but just in terms of like this story in isolation you know that that setup of the first part I think is kind of important to the payoff of what comes in the second part but it's still really good yeah (laughs) and and like and i do really enjoy hank's half brother you know looking back some of the mm, cultural jokes are are maybe a little easy but Mm -hmm. you know um that is certainly not unique to King of the Hill and the sort of family sitcom goes to uh, <laughs> visit another culture, mm-hmm. uh, you know, paradigm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm Cotton's hard. You, you know, like I felt like I had to include him in this list. He's a character mm-hmm. I've, I never liked, if you can't tell from <laughs> from how, no. how I wrote about <laughs> him here. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm curious if he if you guys have ever warmed to Cotton. No. If anyone has ever warmed to Cotton. No, <laughs> no well, never. No, we about- go off on him. Go <laughs> off. He's so <laughs> polarizing because if you, I mean, any uh, discussion board or Facebook or Reddit group, it seems like the majority of people like you like cotton that's what you're supposed to do he killed 50 men he doesn't have chance you like cotton he's a man's man but uh i think he's a monster and (laughs) i think that he was just i mean i don't know what his upbringing was like but he was incredibly abusive to tilly and to hank it's uh, amazing that it's a testament to tilly that hank says well adjusted as he is which Mm. i mean he basically doesn't have a urethra because he's so (laughs) tense and stressed out all the time um but uh, i there you know i try not to rag on him too hard uh there have been moments that i can give him credit like how much he loves bobby um Mm -hmm. He mm-hmm. he hate he hates Hank so much, but he seems to love Bobby at least more than he hates Hank, uh, <laughs> to the point where he's willing to admit that Hank's a better father. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, we've we've talked a lot about him possibly fathering other children as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm rambling now because I <laughs> I hate him so much. <laughs> well, you you characterizing him as a monster made me realize that like he's actually kind of framed as such uh, in this where he like, like goes on a, a very 
small Godzilla-esque rampage. Yes, true. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, like literally like gets up on the table and destroys <laughs> shit and then like is spitting places. Oh, he's so gross. He's always getting up on tables and destroying stuff though. But I do love- headbutting. He loves a headbutt. He loves yes. a headbutt. People, yes. Which I guess makes sense what with his shins, but. <laughs> yeah, and I, I with the shins. <laughs> earlier in your article too, uh, you compare him to Bob. You like draw parallels between him and Bobby and their relationships with Hank and I just thought that was so interesting because Bobby's so sensitive and uh, Cotton is just so violent and abusive and yet they are the same height and (laughs) they are both very important relationships to Hank and they also love each other so much which you would think Mm -hmm. that Cotton would be like, what the hell is wrong with your son? You know, but right, yeah, he has no issues with Bobby. He loves Bobby unconditionally. Um, so mm-hmm. Cotton is a very interesting. I, as much as I can't stand him and I'm infuriated by him, I do think he's very, very interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And also, you know, you asked, did we have I have I, have either of us ever warmed to him? And ultimately no but <laughs> this episode you know he he when his son which of course i can't remember his name right now but did, oh. re, yeah i it's cannot like Ishi- ishiro or something ishiro Ichi- yeah ichiro. something like that yeah. ichiro when he you know says you know i accept you as my father i would like to be friends with you like he finally chills out and it, it does it humanizes him in the way that like he's so hurt and rejected that he like loses his mind right but um another episode with cotton that is one that's a little bit like easier to warm to him is when peg peggy is in the wheelchair is in a mm-hmm. wheelchair and he you know he's an asshole but he really motivates her to get up and moving and yeah. he's not such a such an unbearable asshole that it makes the episode difficult to watch but it's just enough to stay true to his character but also you know fairly heartwarming in that he as much as he dislikes peggy he helps her he even could, if he's kind of torturing her <laughs> he could like torture her endlessly but he right. somehow channels it in a way that that it helps her right so, right yeah um listening to you talk jackie about uh Bobby and Hank and Cotton like made me think about how they kind of exist on this spectrum of like hardness to softness, like Mm -hmm. male hardness to softness, you know, when Hank's in the middle and he's kind of like, he's got it coming from both ends. Like Bobby is, you know, much softer to put it very, (laughs) you know, generally Mm -hmm. than Hank is comfortable with. And Cotton is much harder than, than Hank is comfortable with. And I think, having them being in a scenario with both of them I think just kind of puts him in the situation of being like pulled between these ideas of masculinity and fatherhood and all this male stuff that I don't really have a personal connection to but I think the series does a, a good job of sort of teasing out through those characters Definitely. Yeah, absolutely that's what I was picturing that in my mind I couldn't. I was picturing a devil and an angel, but I think like spectrum makes so much yeah. sense. Yeah. And the fact that they're the same height, I never thought about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they look alike too. So, yeah. 
Um, I don't know what that had to do with anything, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> they do look alike. Yeah. And of course, you know, I do love the the subplot of Bobby uh, and yeah. his Dance Dance Revolution girlfriend. Yeah. Very so cute. He, he's a charmer, that yeah. Bobby. Girls love him. I think one thing, though, about that about that episode that will always, always make me irrationally angry is when they reveal that the ho- when the hotel room is actually much bigger and they've been staying in the same room. <laughs> yes. It makes me so mad every time. I'm like, you fools! Same. Every time. He's been sleeping in a dresser drawer for yes. days. <laughs> for days. Oh my god, it makes me so mad when I see it. Just irrationally angry every time. I'm like, you dumb bastards! <laughs> uh, but it's, a, it's, it's sort of a good encapsulation of the... Uh, you know, dumb American abroad, yes. you know, just complete failure to understand the cultural differences uh, that, that they're facing. Absolutely. Um, and isn't that part of it, too, where Peggy's just like, no, like this is like they like they're, the spaces yeah. here are smaller. That's yeah. Like yeah. How like it she, is she thinks it's like a micro hotel or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. OK. I don't know whose turn it is now. I think it's mine. Oh, OK, great. Oh. We are on season eight, episode one, Patch Boomhauer. Boomhauer is another King of the Hill character with a tendency to hit only one or at best two notes. His just a side of comprehensible speaking style, courtesy of Judge himself, and his womanizing makeup and his womanizing make up a good 90% of his punchlines. Patch Boomhauer shows another side of Boomhauer by bringing in his brother Patch, voiced by Brad Pitt doing his best Boomhauer impression, revealing him to be engaged to Boomhauer's great lost love. Played by Laura Dern, which I didn't write here, but I feel needs to be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. Uh, As Dale puts it, it's like if the Russians landed on the moon before we did and then married it. (laughs) (laughs) The love triangle creates a rift in Boomhauer's friendship with Hank, resulting in one of the few occasions where Hank's forced to admit he's wrong, which is nice to see every now and then. It's a good example of King of the Hill operating almost entirely outside of the Hill family circle, something the series could do very successfully when it focused on the bond between Hank and his friends. Mm. Yes. Yes. Great episode. Um, you know, and I can't believe how well of a impression that Brad yeah. Pitt does because it is very hard to do. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I really loved because Boomhauer, very true. One one note, you know, it, that's his joke is that you can barely understand him and he's quiet. Right. Mm-hmm. But this is a whole episode about him. And I think it might be the one of the, the only ones, except I, that that's about him, besides the one where he falls in love with that woman, that lady jogger. But um, right. <laughs> yeah. so you finally you finally get to see more of who Boomhauer is. You know, he's still a womanizer. He's still unintelligible. But, you know, he's also he's had an actual relationship. He wasn't ju- always just a womanizer. He was in love with someone and he has a brother which is crazy, you know, okay, he's got a bro. Um, And so true saying that it is really good sometimes to see Hank admit that he's wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I love the way way he does it because he realizes like, you know, he like, He's he's so mad that Boomhauer lied to him about hiring these strippers slash prostitutes for Mm -hmm. Patch's uh, bachelor party. And then he realizes like, actually Boomhauer never lied to me. I, you know, he hasn't, so I'm going to ask him. I'm just, you you know, and so he asks Boomhauer 
And Bohara says, no, like I did not hire them. And Hank's like so relieved. He's like, oh, thank God. And he just like he takes Boomhauer's word for it because that's the person Hank is. That's the I guess the person Boomhauer is. Mm -hmm. And that's what their relationship is. And it doesn't need he doesn't need to provide more proof than that. Um, And I think that's that's really kind of sweet. You know, yeah, it's a good friendship moment. I think I think it's implied that Boomhauer and Hank, they're best friends. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, Dale say that Hank is his best friend. Bill says Hank is his best friend. But I think it's actually uh, Boomhauer and Hank. And you don't see it very often because Boomhauer doesn't talk very much. But I think that's the like implied there. So Hank taking his word, whereas if it was Dale, Hank would probably be like, but did you? I don't know if I'm going to believe you right away. Um, (laughs) So it's nice to see their relationship too and like their closeness uh, and Hank standing up for, for Boomhauer, you know, like in confronting patch and everything and like really clearing Boomhauer's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, going back to the last episode, how we we're talking about, you know, cotton as this sort of like um, amplified version of, of Hank uh, that in that kind of reveals Hank's, you know, relative softness um i feel like patch kind of has the same effect on on boomhauer because you know those those two notes i mentioned of his his voice and his womanizing like patch is hitting them louder and yes. in and in the process boomhauer just takes on more nuance um and true yeah it's 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 a good like kind of late series evolution of like like you could argue that Boomhauer didn't really need this sort of uh you know humanization but you know after this is oh this is 150th episode so after 150 episodes like yeah sure why not give give patch or give uh Boomhauer a little more you know yeah uh, yeah a little more shading yeah absolutely that's such an incredible point that you're right patch is Boomhauer, but hit like amplified and it it brings a like more realistic outlook and like more depth to Boomhauer to see him be like okay he's not that bad yeah <laughs> and i like i often uh compare the relationships between the four guys where it seems like hank and Boomhauer are the most stable and Boomhauer and bill are the bachelors and hank and um dale are the married guys but like dale and bill are kind of unstable uh (laughs) and it's so interesting to think about but kind of going a little bit outside of that thinking about the relationships they have with their families and and the parallels between those is really interesting too uh yeah just thinking about how each of them has like pretty complicated relationships in pretty different ways dale's father you would think that Hank would have such a complicated relationship with his own father. And then we meet Dale's father and he's this like gay rodeo person, um, Mm -hmm. extremely sensitive and loving. Uh, So it is just, that just made me think of that too. Um, But yeah, I I love anything to do with Boomhauer (laughs) and I, I'm a speech pathologist so um, a lot of the kids I work with I just can't understand and so I use a lot of uh Hank's responses to Boomhauer where Boomhauer there's one in particular where Boomhauer was just going off and you couldn't understand a single thing he said and then Hank's just like 
well, that's what we tell ourselves, isn't it? And I, <laughs> the amount of times I say that to like seven year olds who are just like, blah, 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 I'm just like, yeah, that's what we tell ourselves, right? Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Just, I can't understand what you're saying, but I'm going to still talk to you like a human being, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, I, once again, to, to go back to voice acting, I feel it, it's interesting to kind of hear Boomhauer speaking at length throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, this is probably the most Boomhauer dialogue in, in a single episode. And it's it's interesting to kind of see the way that Judge calibrates the, the Boomhauer patter to... Mm-hmm you know, actually be able to carry a narrative because yeah. he, he rarely has to do that. He's more of a, a button guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Freaking nails it. Yeah. yeah. It really does. <laughs> Amy, you do a good Boomhauer. I cannot get that cadence. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Thing old hard, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Is it my turn? It is your turn. You got the last one, girl. Okie dokie. Season nine, episode 12 smoking and the bandit episodes focus on dale johnny hardwick tend to be a little wackier given the character's propensity for paranoia and overreaction smoking and the bandit is among king of the hills more convoluted plot lines but like many successful dale stories it's grounded in the character's relationship with joseph in trying to win joseph's respect dale becomes arlen's smoking bandit a mysterious figure who lights up in public places in gross defiance of the city's smoking ban. However, the bandit inspires a little too much admiration in the growingly rebellious Joseph, forcing Dale to team up with Hank to apprehend himself. As with most Dale stories, Hank plays the stern voice of reason who must clean up his friend's mess, but Dale gets to maintain some dignity in the process while reestablishing his most redeeming quality, his affection for the boy he assumes slash convinces himself is his son. Mm. <laughs> yes. Does he know? Yeah, I I was thinking, looking at this list again, I was like, why didn't I do like one of the like John Redcorn specific mm-hmm. episodes that's like really engaging with with Nancy's infidelity? you know, that sort of refusal on Dale's part to recognize what is right in front of his face when, when it comes to Joseph. Um, but, but I think like, if you're choosing an episode that sort of like sums up Dale, you have to also acknowledge as part of his personality that is just like, ridiculous, like sort of conspiracy driven, like, oh, like Dale is is kind of an uncomfortable character to engage with in in this particular moment, um, but I feel like this is a, you know, an example of that part of his personality that is you know, not not too troubling, mm-hmm. um, you know. Whereas, like his gun club stuff, for for example, I say as I hear gunshots outside my house, um, yeah. you know, is maybe a little uh, more. Uh, like I said, troubling. I bring it but up all the it, time, but he's literally tried to drink Hank's blood. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean he he is a a psychopath, um, mm-hmm. and there's you know only so much you can do to humanize a character like that. But you know, Joseph is it. Jo- you know, it, it all comes back to Joseph and to a, a lesser degree Nancy. And I do like like in the series how they do kind of 
have a period of Nancy recommitting to Dale and their marriage and, um, you know, talking about how the series actually kind of lets its characters change and those changes Mm -hmm. stick. Like, that's another really good example of it. Um, But yeah, it's uh, in hindsight, it's like not an episode that I think about that often. Mm -hmm. But rewatching, I'm like, no, this is a good episode. Yeah, I'm fine with this. I'm fine with this choice. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's a great, a great point, though. Like uh, any I mean, Dale is the maybe the most in my mind, the most cartoonish of the characters. Mm -hmm. Um, But his relationship with Joseph totally humanizes him. Uh, It's it's the most grounding thing about him, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. How much he loves Joseph and wants like Joseph's love in return, especially evident in this episode where, you know, he, and, and I love that you put it like a convoluted one because it feels like every time I watch it, I feel a little confused. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I'm just like, I can't fully follow this one. Yeah. Um, because it's Dale logic. You're not yeah, supposed to follow Dale logic. Ex- right, exactly. Oh, God, so true. Um, but the I guess it's probably the whole, like, when, you know, like you said, forcing Dale to team up with Hank to apprehend himself. Like, wh- how are we going to get out of this one, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a real pickle. Um, it's a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it's... It's one of the later season episodes where Dale wants the respect of, of Joseph because in the earlier seasons, Joseph and him are close. They, mm-hmm. you know, they get along, they're friends. But as Joseph gets older, he gets more rebellious, as in the one, you know, you mentioned John Redcorn, the one of the later season episodes where Joseph uh, starts to hang out with like a rough rough crowd and they're gonna like fucking kill a panda bear at the zoo and yeah and dale joins him unbelievable yeah and dale's like yeah you should do this because then you'll be part of the cool crowd and convinces himself that he's native american and it's it's kind of crazy but it's one of those episodes where it's like dale trying to be like joseph's friend trying to like get joseph's respect which he only kind of does. And, you know, uh, I do love we Jackie and I mentioned this too, that we love that you put assumes slash convinces himself (laughs) that Joseph is his son, because I am of the belief that Dale deep, 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 deep down knows that Joseph is not his biological son. And Nancy uh, has cheated on him for how paranoid he is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's uh, another episode and I'm blanking on what it's called, but it's the one where um, Dale convinces himself that Joseph is like a alien, uh, an mm-hmm. alien, yep, yep. you know, yep, yep. which, um, you know, thinking back may have like been a better one for this slot on the list, but I also haven't revisited it uh, recently. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's something else that I didn't, because I did rewatch the entire series before writing this list. I just want to say nice. I did my due diligence. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like that, episode really engages with like where Dale's head is at uh, yeah. in, in regards to Joseph um, and you know how far he is willing to how far he's willing to go to to convince himself that what is right in front of his face isn't the thing that's right in front of his face it's as close as he's gonna get probably <laughs> without <laughs> fully losing his mind and taking everyone with him <laughs> yes drinking all of their blood <laughs> wow what an incredible list 
Oh, thank you. A wonderful. It's fun to it's fun to go back. Yeah. Can I can I just real quick uh, mention like a few characters that I didn't really get to spotlight in this list please, that I, please that I would have, like if it, if it had been a top fifteen I, I would right have on. you know um, I think Khan is probably the the big oversight here probably purposely because Khan is like a problematic it's character hard, it's hard yeah. to approach that character knowing that it's voiced by toby huss but at the yeah. same time i love that that's another one that i've really come to appreciate yes so yeah. much it probably would be the country club episode if i had to if i had mm-hmm. to pick one yes. um for him um also I, this list cuts off at uh season nine which i think was before lucky uh, to- uh-huh, voiced yeah. by tom petty came on the scene but you know, Lucky Lucky was a, a really nice late series edition. Yeah, I, I definitely you know, um, and also Lady Bird. I, oh, I didn't get <laughs> like like I mean that's I'm joking a little bit, but also like Lady Bird got a couple of really great episodes, and obviously yes. it's always in relation to Hank. You mm-hmm. know, it's never like really about her, but um, but yeah, I I do love Lady Bird. Lady I know. Bird. <laughs> well, she really brings out like this sweet loving. Mm-hmm just pure side of Hank that I just, I, ugh, I can't get over. I mean, actually in the returning Japanese. I was where, just going to say. Yeah, <laughs> he calls Luann and he's like, put Lady Bird on the phone. And you hear me, he's just like, oh, daddy loves you. <laughs> you, and, you then Lu- and then you get Luann reacting to it. Yeah, like, like oh, what the fuck is that? <laughs> you mentioned it, Amy, but, and it blew my, that blew my mind, but it's the only time Hank really feels safe expressing his emotions openly mm-hmm. is to Lady Bird and his yep. lawnmower. Mm-hmm. yep because they can't judge him they can't come back with anything and be like what the hell was that that's right <laughs> beautiful so okay so those are your characters yeah yeah those were the awesome. the, the three I, I overlooked i don't know is there, is there any i mean i guess nancy um, yeah i've well, really nancy and john redcorn yeah i've come to appreciate Dee, Dee a lot and principal moss those are my two like oversights <laughs> previously oh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love yeah, but I, but you know, they're they're characters that always function in relation to other characters. You know, um, they they don't get stories of their own. No, uh, but oh, it's and, all um, part of the rich tapestry that is King of the Hill. Tr- yes, <laughs> truly, and of course, Buck, who does get his a few of his own oh, episodes, but yes, man, but, uh, <laughs> we don't need to talk about Buck. always catching the bathroom. so that's the most relatable character for me (laughs) i've always got a breakfast burrito fixing to say adios (laughs) so uh genevieve what we usually do is we ask listener comments about each episode that we're recapping just so people can like say their favorite quotes or moments or you know what a scene something like that so but what i did with this one since it's not one particular episode i asked what episode do you think represents king of the hill the best not exactly the same as your list where you know which one humanizes it the most but overarching like best representation like who Mm -hmm. what would you tell someone to watch to get a good idea of it so we're gonna. I'm just gonna read a couple off. Peg, uh, Peggy, I just called you Peggy, Jackie. <laughs> you know, you know a, 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 as we've established, that's not an insult. It's that's not. Insult. It's not. <laughs> but um, Jackie and I, we can just read some off quick. See what you think. Um, and actually, some of these you've you included in your um, ten 
additional ones if you like those other episodes so which i think is pretty good um one of the first ones we got was pretty pretty dresses um Mm -hmm. or lupe's revenge so those are those are pretty good i mean a good bill episode we also got a beer can named desire which is one of my ultimate favorite episodes when um hank does the takes the challenge to throw the football through the beer can yeah and they go to they visit bill's family and in louisiana yeah um the two episodes around debbie's death uh debbie who works at strickland propane and is a mistress of buck Mm -hmm. uh she dies in a dumpster and oh that's right (laughs) is that the one with peggy sugarfoots yes Uh, yes (laughs) and i feel like that really highlights uh buck as a character and mm-hmm. his relationship with his wife and his relationship with Hank, who Hank admires him so much. And yet Buck is framing him for murder. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's, yeah. It's a really good just encapsulation of Hank's daddy issues in an episode that is not. Yes. Absolutely. Centric. Truly. Absolutely. And, and I'm sorry, I got to read the names. I forgot to read the names of the people. Oh. So Pajoma said Pretty Pretty Dresses and Endiroma19 mentioned a beer can named Desire. And Bobby Goes Nuts. Yes, uh, of course. One of the classics, right? Or <laughs> the finale. That's my purse. That's my purse. I don't know you. <laughs> and uh, Weldon McKenzie mentioned Debbie's death in the dumpster. <laughs> and it is a, yeah, it is a, I love that, those, this, the series, the, um, what is it? Oh, hanky panky put- high anxiety. Yes, yes. That's a pleasant great. view drive. Also mentioned that. Yes. Um, we also have from the Abbey Yo spin the choice. Mm-hmm. They say every character's actions, <laughs> and it's so quotable. And it's, it is a great episode because you know we have Peggy being ridiculous with yeah. the damn game. That's terrible. <laughs> it's a terrible game. Spin and the then, choice. Do, 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 yeah, do, do. there's the the just heartbreak of john redcorn and joseph you know it's just it's so sad right um and bobby coming to realize that white people are fucking awful and (laughs) have done terrible things man are you sure yeah i know that would have been a good one to include because it's also like a holiday episode which is another like family sitcom trope that i guess i guess i have halloween on here so that is the one that kind of fills that slot but uh and also a good option. Yes. And if you want to talk about holiday episodes, what was the one where Hank catches his mom? Oh, right. He goes, wait, is that the same one where he goes blind? Yes. Yes. Was that Hanky Panky? No. No, no, no. no. That's, I think that's uh, unbearable blindness, blindness of, laying. of laying. Oh, <laughs> that was a triggering episode. All right. Yes, yes it was. <laughs> um, Box Office Poison says the Texas Skill Saw Massacre, which is uh, the one where Hank accid- quote unquote, accidentally chops off Dale's finger, and they say that uh, Hank loses it at just about everyone, even Dee Dee. <laughs> Which is <Yes>. true. <laughs> um, now, Bug Cider says, I love Mutual of Omabois for the way all the main characters have their own side story. Now, I don't know what that means. I can't remember that one. Mutual of Omabois. Omabois. Is that the one where um, they have to return the insurance uh, check? uh, Yeah. Oh, yes. I think you're right. The insurance check doesn't go through. And Hank freaks (laughs) out, right? I think I I, want to fact check myself. Yes, that is the one. And so, yeah, that's like where... 
uh, like Peggy and Luann are like trapped at a rest stop because yes! they can't go anywhere because they're yes. uninsured. And <laughs> yeah, and, and Bill and Boomhauer are just like doing increasingly insane, dangerous things. <laughs> and yeah, that such is a, a good ensemble episode. Such a great example, too, of like everyday mundane, boring things just being turned mm-hmm. into an episode. Absolutely. Right. Like the simple fact that Hank didn't send off the insurance check turns into the the alleyway lighting on fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, Arbitrary and Delicious says, ironically, I think it might be Dogdale Afternoon. Ooh. That's that's one that I love a lot yeah. and also uh, would have filled the, the ladybird. Uh, slots that I mm-hmm. right. That's a that ladybird uh, is involved in the in that one. Am I? Oh no no no. That's the the shooting one, right? Oh, where he ends up the, in the clock this tower. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, one. Okay, yes. sorry, I was confusing with a different one. But yeah, um, interesting. Sorry, yeah. what was the reasoning for that one? What did they uh, say? Uh, they didn't give a reason. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Well, but I, somebody else. Says I mean, it's it, a very um, Texas episode. You yeah, know, like very, it, it's nodding yeah. to Texas history, and you know. Arlen is a character here. Yes. <laughs> and I think um, it really uh, uh, highlights Dale's insanity where this is an episode where maybe he's not even fully losing it as much as he does in other episodes. But here he is in a clock tower with uh, and he's surrounded by police with like armed police. And then Bobby has to talk him down, right? Hank, Hank does. Oh, that's right. He asks. He's like, "I want Bobby, Bobby to, to shoot kill me. him <laughs> yeah. because Bobby's a great shot." Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, and Bobby's just okay. Okay. So like, oh, I guess all right. I guess I'll I'll do I will. it. Um, but you know who else mentions uh, Dogdale Afternoon? And they say for pure comedy is Ryan Film Lover says that, and then Ryan Film Lover also says for comedy and heart, Hank's Cowboy Movie which we just recently talked about that one. And it does have a lot of heart. It's a great ensemble, as you said. It's got everybody in it. And that's another, like, kind of Arlen episode. Yeah, Yeah, it's all about Arlen. Arlen. Yeah. (laughs) Um, If I had to pick one, I think I really like Hank's Dirty Laundry, the one where he gets put on that porn video uh, list. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) is is that i don't think that's the first time is that the first time we meet rusty shackleford or just like the most oh it might be wow what a good memory i think it's around if it's not that one it's that's got to be the second one but that's a great i I do love rusty shackleford Mm -hmm. Uh, yes it's a it's a phrase what a name yeah (laughs) so good um i think I think one of my favorites I think I'm going to go with is, and you put this on your, you know, the 10 more list is Dances with Dogs because Mm. I love a lady. It's one of my favorite episodes. I love Lady Bird and I love Hank in this episode. I love to see him sweet and and he's and it's so sweet when they have the little cowboy outfits on and (laughs) Lady Bird's got her cowgirl hat and it's just so precious and it's just one of my favorites it's I wouldn't say that it like is the best representation of King of the Hill but it's it's Mm a I like it I just love it (laughs) I love it too oh my mistake the big large did mention Hank's dirty laundry sorry the big large (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I think one of my favorites, and I'm I'm really bad with just like pulling up episode titles off yeah. the top of my head, so forgive me, me but the one where Luann joins a sorority slash cult, yes. um, <laughs> which may honestly be my favorite simply for the way Brittany Murphy sings Lady Marmalade, Mar- Lady Marmalade. Girlfriends do. I know we actually just so we do a watch party with our Patreons. We'll watch a couple of King of the Hill episodes all together and chat. And we recently watched that one. And I was like, man, I love this episode. Peggy gets roped into a cult so fast. <laughs> so she's supposed to be the smart one and she is right there with Luann. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so desperate for friends. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so I guess we'll go ahead and end it. So Yeah, we've kept you for two hours. We could <laughs> yes. not be more grateful. Thank you. So- I mean, it's Friday night. What am I gonna do? <laughs> listen to gunshots Talk and drink King wine. of the Hill and listen to gunshots. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Your classic Friday. All hell. <laughs> this is this is what winning feels like, right? Right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this is it. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to speak with you and get your input on this list and also read the list and just have like a full on King of the Hill chat, like not just <laughs> one specific episode. Like we got we got to go all over the place, which we don't normally get to do. I know. Yeah. Of course, we were very nervous to talk to you. Um yes because we're bad at talking, as you can tell, but you could not have been nicer and more pleasant to talk to, and your King of the Hill knowledge is just... Uh, it's good. It's good. <laughs> it's, good. it's good to hear. It's It's been like... It's been a few years since I've done a rewatch, mm-hmm. and it, it was actually... Like, my, my fiancé and I, like... Uh, like rewatched it all as like our falling asleep show for yep. o- over the course of a few months, which it's really good for that if, mm-hmm. yeah. if you've already seen all the episodes. But, um, but obviously I fell asleep for for many <laughs> of them too. So I was kind of like, oh, do I still like have all this in in my brain? And you do. Uh, sure do. So I, I I was nervous too, but you know I I got enough. I can fake it. The yeah. internet helps. <laughs> That's all we're ever doing. Yeah. We're always faking it this whole time. <laughs> I'm just waiting for someone to email us like. That's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I got something wrong too. Tweet me. I don't care. I, I really look at Twitter. Can't imagine. <laughs> Speaking of which, I wanted to ask you: uh, Where can people find you and see more of your stuff? Yeah. Um. I, well, I am the TV editor at Vulture.com. Although I don't do a whole lot of writing there, but um, I'm, I'm mostly editing these days. But um, I'm technically on Twitter. Um, but Twitter scares me. Uh, yes. So I yes. only tweet very Same. sporadically, mm-hmm. um, but I'm at Genevieve Kosky there. And I'm also co-host of the Next Picture Show podcast, which is That's a film right. podcast where we pair a recent release with a classic film or an older mm-hmm. film that it has something in common with. Um, so we uh, right now we have episodes out about uh, David Byrne's American Utopia paired with David Byrne's True Stories. So that's sort of an example wow. of the sort of pairing that we do. Um, and yeah, next pic- the next picture show. Awesome. Check it out. And Go check it out. <laughs> I was just skimming through like all of the articles just on the uh, just on AV Club. I mean, I mean, it covers everything from the Americans to Sailor Moon to <laughs> Unfinished yeah. business. I was at the AV Club for like almost eight years. I wow. I, I, I wrote a lot. It's just everything. <laughs> Mary Tyler Moore, like how, like everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, there, the, there's a lot of TV. 
so but much like, TV. So, but a lot of TV. I mean, Bob Newhart. <laughs> I love Bob Newhart. Who talks about Bob Newhart? But yeah, anyway, sorry. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I will give a, a tip of the hat there to um, Emily Vanderwerf, who was the TV editor at AV Club during my time there, and she, uh, you know, was a big proponent of sort of bringing classic television discussion uh, to to the AV Club. Cool. So, uh, yeah, when you when you see things like Mary Tyler Moore and and uh, Bob Newhart on there, it's because of her. Oh my god. <laughs> Bob That's Newhart. Awesome. I was literally like before this interview Googling, what's the difference between satire and dry humor? Because I'm not <laughs> smart like you, right? And so, and like the number one thing that kept coming up was Bob Newhart, Bob Newhart, Bob Newhart. And I was just like, oh my God, I love Bob Newhart. So <laughs> shout out Bob Newhart. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lovely time. Um, you're welcome back on any time, of course. Totally. And yeah. yeah, if there's ever an episode you'd love to recap, like one of your favorites, just let us know. Ooh. All right. I will definitely think about that. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you guys are like what? Ep- or season three? Yep. Yes. So we have the rest of our now. lives. Yeah. <laughs> we have years <laughs> from now. <laughs> Yeah, we're about at the end of episode three or season three. You ha- oh, so that's the one that ends with Peggy falling out of the plane. There's yes. always someone that almost dies. Yep, yep. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Fun. All right. Yeah. No, I'm I'm definitely down for for another one. Wonderful. That would be lovely. All right. So, okay. So I'm gonna go ahead and stop all this recording stuff. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, and have an amazing night. And I hope that the shooting stops. <laughs> Yes. I'm just going to tell myself it was celebratory fireworks. Yes. (laughs) There you go. All right. Uh, Thanks again. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.